0: a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Take Cash. My name is Davis Matic. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Matic. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by my buddy, Paul Villasmar. Uh, you might know him better as Pew Pew Pew. He is a professional daily fantasy soccer player. Uh, he actually was on the show kind of at the height of the pandemic about uh, 10 months ago at this point, And we chatted about, uh, you know, his career professionally playing poker, professionally playing DFS, soccer DFS, a lot of that stuff. So in this episode of the show, we, we preview the Champions League final that is coming up this weekend. We preview the European championships in soccer that are coming up on uh, June 12th, I believe, the day it starts. And also, of course, we had to talk about the, the crypto markets as well because Paul is well-versed in those things. So, hope that you guys find it interesting. Hope that you find some actionable stuff here. If you want to support the show, as always, bonus episodes on patreon.com/slash Taycast. You can sign up for an account on Starstock Market using the promo code DavisMatic. Get a free 10 bucks, no strings attached there, or you can just leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Alright, everyone, welcoming Paul Villasmar back to the show. He actually came on with me uh God probably about 10 months ago at this point during Hardcore lockdown, quarantining, pre-pre vaccine. It was it was uh, during the summer. We talked about uh, about Paul's journey through through poker and DFS and uh, and everything. And now we're 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 meeting on on much happier terms, Paul.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it was yeah it was ten months ago. It was a weird place. It's been it's still been pretty weird, but uh, it's uh, you know it's good 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 little time span between.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the world is uh, it's, it's, we're coming out on the other side. I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit too quickly. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to have an opinion, you know, the, so here in the States, so, so Paul lives in Canada, but you know, here in the States, basically we're opening back up mask off. Now, now we have um, I, I believe the most recent thing I read was that like 70% of American adults have gotten at least one dose of a vaccine. And if, if Canada is catching up pretty fast, that's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We're uh, we were, we, we lagged really, really poorly on our initial vaccine rollout. And uh, we've caught up to the point that I think that our, like our rate vaccination has, has taken off that we should be past the United States, at least on one. I don't think uh, our our levels on people getting two vaccines is, is really poor. We still kind of haven't reached that yet, but hopefully we we catch up quickly and we can have a summer because right now we're we're pretty locked down in Ontario like where I am um yeah right Rob
0: Rob Ford says
1: you guys can't even go golf right yeah I think he I think he said that and then he retraced and he was basically like you can't even you know go to the park And I live like right beside a park and everybody's going to the park you know what I mean like right Rob Ford's kind of an idiot
0: Yeah, I mean, that was that was my big that was what I did during during last year was I I just golfed because it was like, I can't you know, we're not you're not going out to restaurants, you're not going to the movies So if you if you want to get out and you're not going to the gym, you know, you want to get out of the house and, and move around for a little bit like golf was. The golf was the the savior, so I I'm very I'm feel feel very blessed that I was able to do that. Did you did you pick up any new habits or like what was your what was like your big thing? Did you play a bunch of online cards? Like what what did you do
1: for the most part? Uh, I, I didn't. I think we were talking about that. We were talking about poker, and I was right close to getting back into it. And then DFS came back, and and then uh, crypto got a little bit more intense. And so uh, my new habit is probably. I haven't exercised anywhere near as much as I should. I've drank more. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I feel like
0: that was super common for a lot of people. Like a lot of people got into like just, you know, making cocktails and drinking wine and stuff. Like I I know that that was a big thing for a lot. A lot of people joined like wine, like mailing lists and stuff. I saw that like subscription alcohol services kind of took off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it just, to, like I'm not like getting but I, hammered or anything, but like you know I'm having at least like one drink, two drinks every day, right? Me, always, and feel like it's just there's not as much stuff to do. Um, yeah, nothing really too crazy. I've been and and and, and you know the winters in Canada are, are pretty brutal, anyways. So right. for the most part you just stay inside and kind of hibernate, anyways. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to. I want to play some soccer, but. I don't know if we're going to get to do that this summer. I really kind of, being, I haven't played in over a year, so.
0: Yeah, that yeah. would be, that would be something I really wanted to do as well. There actually is like an indoor soccer place right by my house. Like I could, I could walk there. It's like half a mile. Yeah. And I I think they just opened up last week. Uh, I I mean, I haven't played since college. We used to play uh, like pickup soccer at the, the old football stadium at the, at the college I went to. And that would be. A blast so that's a, that's a good reminder for me for me to look yeah, for to Do look it. into that yeah yeah
1: i mean i've been i just i've played my whole life and i and i still like would play i was playing in like two leagues when i was in california and kind of like helping manage too so i, I definitely miss that and i'm getting to an age where like you don't know how many how many years i have left before i just totally break down so it's right kind of, like a bummer that i can't play yeah
0: so, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna chat about a bunch of stuff today. We're gonna, I, I want to take a look, um, you know, at the, at the Champions League final. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about the Europa League final. Cause I actually think it's a, it's a pretty interesting game. And then we, uh, we're, well, let's, I want to, I want to get kind of deep into Euro 2020 slash 2021. And then we'll talk a little bit about crypto at the end of the show. Cause, uh, it's a, it's a very interesting time in crypto and you're a pretty knowledgeable guy. Also, very similar to me, I, I think, and in, very into Bitcoin for a long time and have become more sold on the Ethereum blockchain and, and Ethereum world. So I think all of that stuff will be good. So let's, let's just get into it right now. Uh, Man City versus Chelsea. Uh, Ch- uh, City is listed as a minus 115 favorite on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, regulation tie, plus 240. Chelsea, plus 340. They're playing this in Istanbul, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I, I oh, did. They switch it. I they they've been... moved
0: it at least once, and now I don't know where it's actually being played. Yeah, so I looks.
1: thought that they were moving it to Wembley. Um, I saw that they were talking about that. I can't remember. I think they did, which would make sense because if you can't have if if, if if Turkey is in the middle of a like a big outbreak and there's two British teams, it kind of makes sense. So they, I don't know. I don't know they, I'm not actually not sure.
0: You're right. So it was in Istanbul. Then they were going to do it in Wembley and now they have moved it to Portugal. So they're playing it, they're playing it in Porto. Uh, So that is, I mean, you know, not, not that it really matters. I guess that there will be more fans there than there would have been had the final been played, you know, two months ago or whatever. I I don't imagine, I don't imagine that uh, it's going to be full of people, but you know, we, we have actually seen the last two weeks in, the premier league like fans have totally made a difference on these games um which is you know i obviously that's kind of one of those human intuition things where you're like yeah no shit fans being there it's gonna be you know it goes from these guys feeling like they're practicing to actually playing but it it has been cool to see the games be a little bit different with fans there
1: yeah i mean it's just you know it's just the atmosphere is a lot better players kind of you can see like the emotion is a little bit higher uh yeah, it was nice because I kind of wasn't really thinking too much about it because we just got so used to not having fans that I've kind of started paying more attention to it because I, I think that not having fans did change it a little bit, right? I think it changed home home team advantage a lot. I kind of really – it kind of adjusted, and I, and I need to adjust back probably because I do think that that's a key part to, you know, performance in soccer. I mean, I, a little bit, not – shouldn't overdo it, but I think that – uh Definitely this weekend, seeing, seeing the fans and seeing how players were celebrating. And especially on the last game of the weekend, I think it it, it was uh, definitely played a factor.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So I, uh, I actually have already bet this game. I bet City in regulation to win at minus 110. Uh now I probably would have bet city anyways once again. So this game is being played this weekend on the 29th. Um and I I probably would have bet city anyways cuz you know obviously I'm going to be obviously I'm going to be watching the game anyways and so I got to bet it. But the the reason why I got reminded of the idea to go bet it was um Oh what's the name Edward Mendy the-, the goalie for Chelsea got injured on Sunday and so they are putting Kepa back in goal and uh, he's just not any good he can't he can't stop shots he's not great with the ball at his feet like it- and it's one of the strangest things ever because you you really never notice goalies in a high level soccer game, unless they do something bad. Like you don't, you don't really realize all the great things that goalies do, or if they have, you know, some truly incredible save and uh, Keppa seems to be bad at, at mostly all of the, the big goaltending things. And I I do actually think him being in there instead of Mendy is worth, you know, 10,
1: 15 cents for Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, Keppa stinks. He he's, it's kind of, it's kind of sad, I guess, because uh, you know, typically throughout soccer, Goalies don't peak until later, right? Like usually goalies, goalies, uh, is just a skill that takes a little bit more time. Right. And they tend to be, and he was really hyped up and was like, I think it was like the most expensive goalie ever. And, you know, Chelsea clearly overpaid and the hype was a little bit too high and he just had a bad run. And then I think it just got, you know, your confidence goes and you're, you're doing that in front of, you know, thousands of fans. And it just kind of like spirals and uh, yeah, it sucks for him. I mean, I feel bad for the guy, but he's been bad. He's been real terrible. So, so bad, really, so bad, making so many mistakes and uh, they look a lot better with Mendy, but I did see that, that they're hopeful that Mendy will play that. Uh, he's They're going to, that they think he could train on Wednesday and that they they're going to hopeful that he's, he's going to play. So I think if, if he's fit, He'll be in there. I think it's better. Uh, but, you know, I mean, look, Kepa, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, he he looked okay in the, in the last few appearances he's had. And right. he just, he'd be taken out of the limelight and just like, you need to just chill. I think he, he may end up being okay eventually. I just, I think he was overhyped and and he just needed to be. I think Chelsea. Well, yeah,
0: most most expensive goalie ever, and and still even even two off seasons after, still the most expensive yeah. goalie ever. So you're, and, you're he's, hoping-
1: and he's super young, right? He's still very young.
0: Yeah, tw- 25, I think, still. So oh, really,
1: so yeah, no, he's, he's, he's yeah, he's not that young, man. I guess if he's let me let me see, yeah, I tw- 26,
0: actually. But I mean, but I mean, to your point though, twenty six for a goalie like if as long as you are good about your fitness and not uh, yeah. like you could play until you're 35, it's, it's kind of like quarterback that way.
1: Yeah. Like for 26, for a soccer player is like, you're coming in, usually you're coming into your peak years for goalie. It's like, it's usually, I think it's a little later. Like you tend to peak between like 28, 32, something like that. You, I want to say on average, but you know, yeah, at this point, he just, it's not great. And Mendy just looked a lot better, a lot better. Performed yeah. A lot better. So. So, uh,
0: just in terms of there, there are a couple dominant storylines here. I think one does team over start, or do they start with Kai Havertz at kind of, you know, striker false nine, and then you have him and Pulisic and, and Mount interchanging, uh, does Pep start with a striker or does he start Foden or KDB, you know, with, with Mars and Bernardo Silva and have them interchange. I, I think that probably city will do that. They're not going to start with Aguero or Jesus. And they, that would be the plan B, which I, you know, far be it for me to, to doubt Pep, but this doesn't, this feel like a galaxy brain style thing for Pep, where he might get this wrong from the start. Cause you, you just need to have like goal goals are so important. You know, so many champions yeah. league finals, Zero zero going into ninety minutes. One one going into ninety minutes. And you know yeah. what changes the game? Gareth Bale's overhead kick, right? Like just someone yeah. who is is on the field to score. And the, and and I, you know, I don't know. I I actually feel I actually feel like they probably should start with Gabriel Jesus, even though he's like the fifteenth best player on that squad or whatever. Just because yeah. of how it will force them to play. What do you, What do you think about that?
1: Um, I think that. First of all, Pep is known for galaxy braining. Yes, uh, in the Champions League, I I, I always want to say I think Pep's the best manager, ever. probably the best yeah. manager ever. Um, but there definitely is an argument to say that he's probably overthought it a little bit um, in key moments in the Champions League at times. Uh, I think uh, I think this time he's going to be a little bit more predictable. I think he's gone a little bit more predictable this year. I think he's changed his style a little bit to uh, to just kind of having like a go-to formation and lineup that they've gotten used to. And uh, I think that he is most likely to stick with that, especially because he has not played Chelsea with that lineup. Right. Like they played a couple weeks ago and they played like a complete left field. Yeah. Total B side, basically. Total B side, basically total different formation. And you could see that that Pep's kind of thinking, you know, chess-wise, he doesn't want to show his hand and, and they don't want to play against him like that. So I, I do think, I think they're better without Jesus and Aguero. I think for sure without Aguero. Yes, think, yeah, Aguero just has, doesn't have the legs anymore. Yeah, I think Aguero, yeah, exactly. I, I don't think Aguero has the legs. I think Jesus uh, offers more defensively than Aguero. I think that uh, they're going to want to go out and, and they're going to want to dominate possession. I think they're going to go out there and they're going to go, head to head. I think city, I think this is the way that they're going to do it. Um, and in that case, I, I think that that he sticks to what he's been playing, which is a front three of basically like De Bruyne, mares and Foden with kind of De Bruyne almost in a false nine sw- switching. I think that that's, they've looked the best like that. I think they just control the game. Their defense is so much better now than it was like last year. Well, I remember mean, we talked about City versus Liverpool last time. I remember, and, right. Uh, and since then, I think City has just—they've just really, well, yeah. Pep Pep just
0: figured out the defense. It's it's uh, Ruben Diaz and and John Stones. Cancelo has yeah. given them great performances, and and uh, you know Kyle Walker. I yeah. like they—they've gotten to the point to where actually, um, you know, it's it's better to have Cancelo in there. I actually don't think Cancelo is going to start though. I think they yeah. will start Kyle Walker here, even though. Cancelo has been better just because they they want that defense. Like Pep's going to want the defensive solidity, and and Kyle Walker is he is the better defender. Cancelo is far better offensively, yeah. but
1: Walker is you know rock solid back there. I want to say that I think Walker starts for sure. Uh, yeah, I think it's more down to uh Zinchenko and Cancelo with Cancelo on the opposite, which he's played a lot this year on the left. Right?
0: Yeah, because that's fits Pep's style of
1: inverting the fullbacks anyway. Yeah, I think, uh, I think he wants to – I think Chelsea and City want to kind of control possession. I think uh, City is going to want to be dominant on possession. I think they always want to, and I think that they're really going to try to force Chelsea off the ball, which is not their strong suit. I think City has a much better chance of controlling the game and dominating possession than Chelsea does. And in that situation, uh, you probably want to flood the midfield. And uh, Zinchenko or Cancelo can both play as inverted fullbacks kind of. And, and, and they, Cancelo has been amazing in terms of his positional sense this year of like, he basically has played like a central midfielder or a winger and he can switch between the two. And then when you play with like Foden and Mares, they, they're both basically like guys that can play as central midfielders or wingers. So it really just kind of screws with you because Mares can just chill out wide or he can come outside if you have Cancelo, Cancelo can do the same, can plug those holes, and uh, Pep, who's kind of like the person who's perfected that kind of false nine system, really with the inverted fullbacks, it just changes everything because it allows his uh, his central midfielders to basically play as a false nine and get in the box, which yep. Gundogan and and De Bruyne have done like amazingly well, and. You're allowed that freedom if you basically can have a fullback that comes in and plugs those gaps, and uh, Cancelo, Walker, and Zinchenko all do that really well. Mendy doesn't; he's he's kind of just bad. But uh, the other guys, yeah, Mendy
0: just wants to cross. Mendy just wants to get down the flank and and cross. So I I don't think he'll he'll go there. Um, uh, Then I guess the other big question is: Do they run? Does Chelsea run with the Reese James Ben Chilwell pairing? Or do they try and get a little bit uh, a little bit of cause Marcus Alonso is very good offensively at getting in the box. He's really yeah. good on corners. What? Cause he's like six-three. Um, I I think Chilwell will probably start. Uh, it'll be Jorginho and Kovacic in the midfield and then a front three of Pulisic, Mount, and Werner. But I, I don't think they should start Timo Werner. I, I think they should start kaya verts but i i don't think that's their plan i i think it will be verner and i mean you can just see it in your head already right verner gets through clean he's eight yards from the net he's got ederson dead to rights and he scuffs it wide like you just you can see it playing through your mind right now
1: yeah um yeah i agree i think uh ha- i mean havertz is kind of coming back from an injury i think right he hasn't been yes starting. yeah i think they're better with probably with havertz there i, I do think though it probably makes more sense against city just from a, how you set up standpoint to have uh Werner uh, to be a little bit more counterattacking right? which he's got more pace and he's a little bit better on the break since you're, you're probably not going to have as much possession. And he,
0: he can put pressure on the ball too. Like Havertz is kind of just, you know, I mean, not slow, but he like, yeah. he, he doesn't cover as much ground. Timo is going to cover a bunch of ground. Yeah.
1: Havertz is more of a brain. He's more of a, you know, he's less of an athletic player doesn't pressure. I mean, he, he's fine. It's just that Werner is like a, you know, super athlete. And, right. uh, I mean, I think, you know, Werner just, he's so frustrated because dude, you're, you're faster than everyone else. You don't need to be right on the line and be offside all the time. Like you can start your run a little bit later, pull a little bit back and you're going to be fine because you're going to beat most people for pace. Like you don't need to be right on the line. It's so frustrating. Like you don't need to be. And he, he is like so often, so often he's offside and he just scuffs chances too much. I mean, I think he's a really good player and I like him and I think he's a good signing. I just think that he needs to kind of, I think yeah, he'll I, get it together and I think he'll be great, but I think he's
0: just he, nice. He's like uh, every Chelsea showdown slate, I just play him. And captain, because he's always like forty percent owned, nine percent owned. You know, yeah. he will he'll get a couple crosses in. He'll take five shots, and and you know, like he he still is at the top of like the expected goal charts and stuff. But he has seven yeah. goals because he his finishing has been really poor. But you know, whatever yeah. it uh, it happens. Uh, all right, real quick, I do I do want to take a look at the Europa League final because it is yeah. interesting because it's Man United against a team that is so defensively sound. And this is what they've struggled with all year is like, if you let them on the counter, they're actually so good. Cause Bruno is so good on the counter. Rashford is great on the counter. Edinson Cavani, who has been amazing for them. He's great on the counter, but they're, they're going to have as much of the ball as they want against Villarreal. Villarreal will be, will be the team soaking up the pressure and breaking and I, I think United probably will get through because their players are so much better than Villarreal. I mean, United is like the the most expensive squad in the world, you know, Pogba and Bruno and Rashford. It's like, it's unbelievable, but it, yeah. it's, I think it's going to be ugly. I think Luke Shaw and, and Juan Bissaka are going to just be pumping in crosses. I think in the, in the first half, it's going to look pretty ugly.
1: Yeah. I think, um, people will underestimate Villarreal. I think, uh, I think they're pretty good defensively. I think they're well yeah. organized. Um, I think clearly. Yeah. I mean, United should be favorite. They, they, they have a, a very good squad, but they do struggle against low blocks. They do struggle when they have a lot of the ball and they have to create, uh, I mean, Bruno Fernandes has helped that a lot. Um, and uh, I think, you know, um, having Cavani, in those type of games helps, right? Cause like he he's he, he he's good in the air. You can kind of cross into him. He can kinda hold up. He makes those little kind of like those little runs. He doesn't need a ton of space. Whereas Rashford, Marshall's injured. Rashford is not amazing in that. But they've been playing uh, Greenwood there as a nine instead of Rashford, which I think is better. Yeah. But you know, I I, I do I think Kavani helps them, has helped them a little bit in that sense of playing as lower blocks. If they start him. I think, uh, I think it'd be an interesting game. I think Villarreal is, is a cagey team that will make it difficult. They're not going to make it easy. And uh, I, I think, yeah, I think they're smart. I think they'll set up to kind of let United have more of the ball and they'll defend and counter-attack. Counter and and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see an upset, but, you know, I think United has enough to get it done.
0: For sure. Yeah, I feel I do feel like an upset is more likely in the Europa League game. Like I, I just feel like City is so much better than Chelsea. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whereas I feel like it's it's really not that hard to imagine like Harry Maguire, you know, clearly missing someone coming through and Alberto Moreno just burying them, and then yeah, like it's it's you you can you can just yeah. see the
1: story, um, yeah. playing no, out no, for sure. Yeah. No Maguire, which which I, he's not. Playing, oh, that's is, right. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is, is a big is a big hit? They've. They don't have the depth at center back. They, yeah, they so made it'll a, be what what Twan, Twan Zabi and uh, and Lindelof, uh, Lindelof or, yeah. or Bailey and uh, and Bailey has not looked great. He hasn't played a lot. I think that uh, it was a mis- They they've played McGuire too much that they needed those other guys to get more minutes. And like you know, you, you have to find ways to get these guys to play so that if you need them. And I think that Maguire, you know, like he just played every game with Lindelof for the most part. And those other guys kind of just languished away. And now you need them and they may not be on form. Um, I think, you know, I, it's, it's a brutal schedule too, right? Like a lot, like with COVID, uh, these players have been playing a ton. Yeah.
0: You know, oh, like that, I games. mean, United has had just this crazy run of games. Now you could even argue though, because their last two games in the league were meaningless that maybe that was like a little bit of an advantage because it worked out that they were going to get top four regardless. So they've been playing their kids. So, you know, Bruno and Pogba and and these guys, they should be very Um, well-rested. All right. But yeah, let's, uh, let's get to the meat and potatoes. We got Euro 2021. um, Very, I I think you could say a weird time in world football, especially European teams, because the, Great teams of the 2000s and the 2010s are really old now. Spain, yeah. very old. Germany, all of their studs have aged out, and they like Germany just you know they have 400 guys who are maybe great but are not great yet, right? Yeah. Um, so that that's very interesting. Portugal now, I mean, Ron, Ron was benched by Juve in a complete total must win, have to win to get Champions League football game he was benched for Alvaro Morata like that. I mean, that that's the first time I can remember in his career, him not being in there and playing 90 minutes for his team in a must win game, Italy, traditional world power. I mean, they're fine. I I don't, I don't, I don't even like their, their numbers here. And then the Netherlands, same thing too. Like it's, to me, it is France and England And, and I guess Belgium and then, and then everyone else, um, you know, Belgium has their, Belgium has their weaknesses as well, but they are, they are pretty strong. Um, but yeah, it's just, it is just a very weird time to have Spain, Italy, Germany, all not being like truly great teams. Like if there was a world cup this summer, you'd be worried about Spain, like getting through the groups, which is insane.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you know, like, yeah, Spain has has gone over a big kind of rework. They had a like ridiculous. I mean, they may have had the, maybe the best international team ever at their peak. Yeah, right with Xavi and Ramos, Pique, all those guys. So you know, they're they they're due for a drop off. I think uh, there's times when they were really good over this last couple of years with, yeah. with younger players, but the younger players are not at the same standard. And I think that there's. Uh, I think with uh, Luis Enrique, he really just kind of mixes and matches a lot. So I, I don't think they, they really know what their best, their best 11 is. And I don't think they have like a set kind of style and system. And there's like a lot of guys that you see on that list that maybe didn't play a ton or he. I don't know how comfortable they are with each other playing. Uh, I think they'll be good. I think they'll be better than, I don't think they'll be bad. I think they still have very good players, but like, you know, they, you know Thiago, if he's on his game, Fabian Ruiz is very good. Busquets has has played really well this season, the second half of the season. Forward-wise, I think they're, they're struggling a little bit, probably. I, I really like Jared Morano. I think he's very good if he, if he starts and plays. Uh, I think they would have been a lot better off if they had Ansu Fati, you know, still around. He, yeah, that's true. Very the, the, the type of player that they needed, like that wide forward, that's kind of... Well, direct.
0: just someone who can create moments outside of the structure of what you yeah. do offensively like cuz the the dirty secret about international football is you don't really get to practice that much and yeah. so the international football can just be really boring because the offensive moves are not as drilled. The, your, your, the teammates are just not as used to playing with each other. And one of the big advantages Spain had was everyone played for Barcelona and Real Madrid. And so they were super used to playing with each other. They knew each other's strengths and weaknesses. Like they just, they, they had partnerships that were there all, all year round. And so when you, when you lose that and you, you are not the most physically talented team anymore, Um, you, you need someone like Ansu Fati or, you know, whoever to just provide a couple moments of brilliance per game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, like, I think that that is a big difference with international versus club. You're not there every day working with the players. You you can't tactically set up the way that you would. Um, and a lot of the managers just aren't as good. Like, like, like the best managers usually are going to be in, in club soccer In club soccer. Yeah, but even then they're out. Even but even if you're you know a top manager, you just don't have the time. The players you, you see them every few months, and then you see them for a short period of time. Tactically, it's different to set up. I think you know a lot of people have romantic views of international football, but like it's just not as good. It's just it's just not it's not, um, and that's just due to the way it's set up and the nature of it. And this year could be even worse because less they have less time to prepare probably. Yeah, I mean that's just, so, so that's active. a good
0: point. Is COVID is going to have a big impact. So I think teams with continuity, teams yeah. who, you know, aren't going to be shuffling around the lineup, aren't going to be shuffling around formation, you know, I think yeah. that those teams are probably going to have an advantage, which is which is why I think France who basically they're not going to have anybody new, right? The forwards yeah. are going to be Mbappe, Griezmann and then and then they will probably rotate that third forward, depending on, you know, if it, if it's a super defensive game, they yeah. might even play, you know, Musa Sissoko as one of the forwards. Um, but but probably it's gonna rotate between Komen, Benzema, de Bele, whatever. And then the defense will be the same. It'll be it'll be Veron it'll be Kamembe, it'll be Pavard and it'll be Lucas Hernandez. Uh the goalie's not gonna change. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable how good France like France is as good at international soccer like as USA is at basketball almost
1: well I will say this um I'm not so I'm not so high on France on paper okay let's I, hear it I think I think that those re that those reasons that you laid out I think are are their strengths is that they know their squad they have their team they just play the same for the most part like I don't think yeah Deschamps they play is. really boring they play yeah. so they play so boring yeah yeah they play they play boring it's a it's kind of effective I, I don't think Deschamps is a great manager at all I think that he has so much talent and I think in the world yeah Cup,
0: he's he's the France national manager because he's he, I mean he was a great player for the French national yeah. team but no one no one from League One is trying to hire this dude
1: yeah I, like I don't think. I don't think he's a very good manager i think that he's not super creative i think he found some a system in players that are good and that works and that they were defensive in the world cup and counterattacking, and they had their identity and they knew how to play it and they weren't going to try to you know be fancy or do anything too difficult which is insane because they have so much talent they could do so much and it would be great to watch but i don't think they hit their ceiling I think that you can still be underperforming and win the world cup. Right. Like, like, I think what they did was very good. And I think they deserve to win the world cup. I think that will still carry over, but, but throughout these, these uh, qualifiers and stuff, they haven't been super impressive. And and teams now get to see them a little bit. They get to kind of like, you know, uh, set up against them. And I think that like, they should evolve and you have to kind of take another step. I don't think they will. I don't think they, I, I think, and I think like, Taking guys like Sissoko and like Toliso, who I think is a pretty good player, but he hasn't been playing. But Sissoko is just like, what are you doing? Like, like take, take in, in, the, in Dombele. Like, they didn't even take him, and that guy's great. I just, I, I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, you'd, you'd much rather have annoying, him in the midfield than, uh, yeah, I think they're going to, Sissoko. Think good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you've got, I mean, I, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to hit another level, I think, and and you want to have to go out and try to dominate the ball and have possession. and And a guy like Ndombélé can just offer so much, whereas Sissoko just doesn't, I don't think. Yeah, and I, I think, think their
0: their their biggest competition is England, which you know, normal. I mean, England is is always kind of over favored in the betting market. So right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook, France, their outright for the Euros is plus four seventy. Yeah. England is plus 500 Belgium. We're going to talk about them in a second or plus six fifty. but I, I think you could say the combination of like tactical solidity. Cause I, I love England's tactics for international three, five, three or three, four, three is perfect yeah. for international football because you have three dudes who know I'm defending. I'm not getting up all game. You'll have yeah. one really offensive wing back. And then one being one wing back who does a little bit. And then, the way that Gareth Southgate deploys his midfielders is basically they are, they're like water carriers. Like that's, that's their only job. And then the forwards, you know, they, they also know what they're there for. Like, this is not like France where Deschamps is going to be begging Griezmann to come back and and pressure the ball. Right. So it'll be, I guess the, the problem that England has is trying to give minutes to Mason Mount, Jack Grealish, James Madison because the the way they set up is they play Declan Rice and um, Jordan Henderson in the midfield and probably that actually works best against France and, and other good teams but you know in some of these uh, groups group stage games against you know Austria the Czech Republic whatever they probably should play one of those very creative young midfielders in central midfield they should play grealish over henderson madison over henderson they and i don't, I don't know if southgate will I, I hope he does
1: um so i have a lot of the same thoughts on england and southgate that i do on deshaun I, I think that uh he's super boring the way he likes super up. boring i think he's just a coward man i think like like i'm a purist like i want to see you try to attack at least especially if you have the talent like england i mean you may be able to get results for sure playing very you know uh, workmanlike and there's nothing really wrong with that. But England has so much England has never had this much talent. They're a super talented side. They have superly creative players. And I, I don't think that Southgate, you know, has the managerial chops to set them up and to use them. And I think like him icing out Grealish for as long as he did is shows why that's the case, like how this guy's been dominating. Like he he should be one of your first players on the on the score sheet um I think that uh you have so much attacking talent you know and like Foden is 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 amazing Foden might not even get a start Foden
0: might Foden might be like the Foden might be like the best player on the team that won the EPL and wins the Champions League and he might not even play he might not even get a start in the Euros
1: yeah like let's play this game if you had Pep Guardiola in charge of England right like how would that team look and how would they play right well they now compare that to how southgate does it from game to game against like romania right where he's yeah. playing two holding midfielders and three center backs and it's just like this is this is blasphemy right? what do you this is you're you're robbing the general public of seeing like the, the sport beautifully played and you know they get results but i don't think at the end of the day that they're doing themselves a favor when it comes to a tournament where you're going to have to play at a higher level. Your ceiling is going to have to go up to win world Cup.
0: Yeah. Three, three, four, three is not going to work against France. They won't, yeah. it won't, they won't, they just won't be able to score like, yeah. and, and he would be so fucked if they didn't have Trippier, Trent Alexander, Arnold, you know, yeah. Wamba Saka. Like if they didn't have great offensive fullbacks, his, it just wouldn't work because like the whole strength of the team is that, he just has these incredibly gifted fullbacks, wingbacks who yeah. are, you know, just help him out massively.
1: And the thing is, when you play the, when you play that, the, the back three, you're taking a midfielder off the, off the pitch, which in yep. sometimes is, is perfectly fine. But when you have that many talented midfielders, when you have Foden, when you have Madison, when you have Grealish, when you have Sancho, and you're taking off one of those players. So you're taking away your strengths for a weakness, which is like they don't have a ton of great center backs right now. And for me, it's like you want to have as many of your best players on the field, and you have like some amazing midfielders that you should embrace, and you should want to get them all on the field. Like I think Phillips is very good. I think Rice is very good. I don't necessarily think you should be playing both of them. I think Mount is very good. Like I kind of trashed Mount for a while because he was being played I think the managers were playing him like advanced and he wasn't doing a great job, but I think that, you know, since he's been playing for Tuchel that he has been amazing. And I think you have to play him. So I would rather play say like rice and Mount as an eight. And then like with Grealish than to have like a back three and two holding midfielders. And you you basically taken off, you know, one of those really good attacking players. I think, England should really go for it. I'm not. I'm not sure they will. And I think they're missing one of their best center backs too, in uh, Tamori for yeah for, um, for AC Milan, who's been very good. And I think that that Southgate is just kind of Southgate and and uh, Deschamps are lazy with their selections. I think they they have some good yeah. players. I don't because well,
0: England could play England could play like the Barcelona four three three with. Yeah with uh, Sterling as one winger, Sancho as the other winger, and then they could just every game he could decide between Mount Grealish Foden as the central attacking midfielder, yeah. play a double pivot behind them and 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 at, you know obviously a four at yeah. the back and he would never do it. But that would be
1: amazing would be to watch I think that would be their, I think that that's gonna be their best chance to to reach the ceiling of their potential is if you had a base of like Rice and Mount as your kind of two more defensive with Mount having the freedom to go forward and then like a Grealish, Grealish or a Foden. And then you can also rotate Sancho with, uh, with Foden or with Grealish and play Sterling on the other side or drop Sterling and play Rashford. Like you can kind of mix and match with Kane. Um, but I, I don't think, I'm not sure he'll do it. I mean, he looked like he was doing a little bit more attacking and, and I think for them to win, I think they really need to. I think that France and England are, are poor value, I would say. Yeah, uh, from a betting standpoint, I think if I were to make a bet, the best value is Portugal.
0: Portugal, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, at eight to one to win to win the Euros, sell me, sell me on Portugal.
1: Well, I think Portugal just—they look very good. Their team looked really good. They have some very good young uh, young players, like young attacking players. They, their system looked solid. They mixed and matched players, and and uh, I want to say like that that when they came up against good teams they've all played them over this recent little time and I'm not even I think that you know when Juve dropped Ronaldo I think it was the right move I don't think that Ronaldo was playing well I think that he doesn't offer enough I think like defensively he offers like almost nothing Offensively, he scores goals, but he's just a poacher. So you have. I mean, carry- he's
0: like the the least uh, I I've seen this stat bandied about that like Ronaldo puts like the least on ball pressures of any player yeah. in Europe's top five leagues.
1: Yeah, and 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 not only that, when you so like you know when you win the ball, he's not going to create for you in that sense. Like he's not going to take the ball and dribble through players anymore. He's not going to like drop into midfield and create. He's not going to take that burden off. Right. So like. As a team, when you're playing with Ronaldo, you kind of have to defensively pick up the slack and then offensively as well, because you have to have people that are creating on the ball for Ronaldo to get chances. And then when you don't have the ball, you got to do a lot of work to defensively. So like if you look at Messi, when you have Messi, you have to create you have to pick up the slack for him defensively, but offensively, just give him the ball. He does everything. And then you like you can kind of specialize. Right. Like you can kind of, you can have other players kind of like take breaks and and not have to expend as much energy. Now with Portugal, I think they're, they're a little bit different. He plays a little bit different. And, and I would still argue that sometimes they're probably better without him, like when they want to defend more. And I think they played him as a nine where they don't have to basically have a, him alongside a nine. So they have someone else that's working hard that can drop, that can do more and they can kind of shield him a little bit. I think Portugal has looked very good. And I think that. Even without him, they look very good, and it's a shame that uh, Pedro Neto is going to be injured. But I really like Diego Jota. I like
0: uh, yeah, uh, Jota is. I mean, he if they if they do win, he will have like you know have scored yeah. like six goals and yeah. and you know just been a monster because like he was he also was like Liverpool's best player. Like he he has yeah. like more expected goals per minute um, than. Salah like I mean he and he can play striker he can play second striker he can play left wing I mean probably their best front line is probably Jao Felix Yota and then you know whichever whichever winger you want to you want to put alongside the Goncalves or yeah I mean that's not
1: Ronaldo right which you can play you can play Ronaldo as a nine or play Ronaldo off the left and play Jao Felix in the center in the center and it kind of works uh I'm not I'm kind of I'm kind of low on Ronaldo in a lot of ways, but I think with Portugal, he's done pretty well. And he, even when he's played, he's played as a nine or he's played off the left, they've kind of found a good way to keep their press active, and they've done a well. But when he's not in there, their their press is like ridiculous. Well, they,
0: and, and a, a, pro, a, a big problem Portugal does have, though, is they have one all-world amazing center back. They have Ruben Diaz, who... Some yeah. some people, I think you could argue that he was the best center back in the world over, you know, the the post-COVID break that he his addition to the Manchester City lineup is yeah. is what has coincided with them being so great. But their other options at center back are guys who literally cannot move. Like Pepe wow. and Jose Font. They they are they're very good. They're very tactically astute. They are where they need to be. They are communicating constantly to their teammates, but they just cannot move. Like they're they are just gonna get. Like, just imagine Jose Font, you know, racing for a loose ball with Mbappe. Like, you know, just they, these guys are, they, they're trees.
1: Okay, so I will say that that is totally accurate. And uh, But I will say that Pepe was amazing. Still good, yeah. In the Champions League this year against, uh, I, think, I believe it was against uh, Juventus. It was just like yeah. the player of the game and was insane. And he's he was maybe the best center back at one point in the world, like a long time ago, and he was very yes. good for a long time. And that, are, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. But the guy, look, I mean, that's one position, center back, where you can have an older guy that's that's intelligent and smart that they can, you can kind of do all right at center back. Like we we've seen it before. And he was, you know, very athletic in the younger ages, and he's he's not as athletic anymore. He can't move, but. I mean, he's performed really well with Portugal, and was amazing with with Porto to the point that it was super surprising to me. But but you know, maybe he's got another summer in him, and he's he's on, he's on amazing form. And Ruben Diaz is is doing really well. And I think you know, in soccer, how you play as a unit and how you understand and if you have like that cohesiveness, especially It's in very important. It's super important. Yeah, and uh, they played very well defensively and offensively and as a unit. Portugal has just looked very good. I think. Uh, Bernardo Silva has looked very good for them. Uh, Andre Silva is uh, on the form of his life right now, playing really well in Germany. Uh, Felix hasn't, hasn't been doing great, but I think he'll pick it up again.
0: He's he's actually it. one of those guys who's better in international soccer than with his club team almost because yeah. he he plays in a very weird role for yeah. Madrid, right, because he plays yeah. second striker and it's they're not a very creative offensive team, so it just kind of yeah. stifles his abilities a little bit but it, you know with Portugal they're like he's the he's the main distributor yeah. you know he's the main guy with with touches in the final third so like it just it does free him up a little bit yeah. I think
1: it fits it fits really well and I think with Atletico it's you have to take it with a grain of salt because there's a lot of good players that have gone there and just haven't played because Simeone is just an animal and he has a specific setup yeah. that you got to do your to job get. or you get yeah. subbed out yeah, yeah. I mean they, 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 sent Car- like, so yeah, they,
0: they sent Carrasco off to China and then brought him back. Cause he was like, no one, no one can track back and do like no one in the world wanted this guy. He goes to China and Simeone says, I got to have him back. He's got Cause he, cause they tried Thomas Lamar there. They tried yeah. Felix on the left. They tried to move Koke to be a wide midfielder and no one would do what Carrasco did. So they were like, all right,
1: we got to get him back from China. Yeah. I mean, I always liked Carrasco and I was like, why is this guy going to China? Um, and he came back and just as like, they won. Been amazing. He's been yeah. great, you know? And, and that's just Simeone, the system is over the players, and he's one of those, one of those coaches that his defensive system and his work rate is, is just way more important than your individual talent.
0: Yeah. Okay, if I'm going to tout a long shot, it's Croatia for sure, because yeah. they still have the most amazing midfield. The, the midfield that they are going to run out is Luka Modric, who is, I think, 35 now. So I think it gets very tough for him to play two games a week, right? It's yeah. just it's very hard. It's very hard on his legs, but Luka Modric when he is 100% good to go and fit to me still the best midfielder in the world. Mateo Kovacic, one of the best ball progressors and he gets he gets no love and respect from EPL fans cuz he doesn't score and he doesn't really assist either, but he yeah, he's incredible. Is
1: he is such yeah. a good, he's been such a good player and he and it was hilarious that Lampard was like, "This guy's no good." And it's like, right. "What are you like? You, I'm sorry, no, he's not the type of player that Lampard was. Lampard likes the mounts, right? Like, yeah, he, shoots, he likes he the the
0: the fox in the box guys, right? Yeah,
1: and Kovacic is just not that player, but like, he offers so much. He's such a good player. Yeah, and, and uh, then it's nice to see him thrive
0: and Brozovic too. I mean Brozovic is as your defensive midfielder yeah. going to progress the ball, going to recycle the ball. Very, like very good at pressures per 90. Yeah. Um, now their forwards they're all various degrees of of disappointing, right? Uh Rebic, you know, got replaced by 39-year-old Zlatan Ibrahimovic at at AC Milan. Um I Kromerich I guess is good. Kromerich had a had a, had a very good season for for Hoffenheim. But it, it's it's just it's for me it's hard to figure out you know Bundesliga forwards it's like you yeah. know you're playing against teams that have like a six million dollar payroll half the weekends. Let me see who
1: we their forwards are right here. Yeah. Um, so I'm really high on Cranrich. I think Cranrich is actually under under. He's a he's a, he's a fantasy
0: god. god. He is in, in is, the Bundesliga. He's, he's unbelievable.
1: He is. Yeah. And I think, but like defensively, he can play a lot of positions. Uh, he pressures well. I think that if Croatia could get the best out of him, they could go far. I think they, they need to get their forward. They need to get a lot of forward productivity. Um, and I think you need to utilize Kramerich to do that. And uh, maybe Perisic can turn the years back. Perisic is still a decent player.
0: Well, he just, he just should only start. Every other game. I just don't, uh, he yeah. can't, he, I don't, so they, they will probably, they will probably rotate him and uh, Pickle, N- Nikola Vlasic, who plays for um, Cheska Moscow and, and Russia. The, those guys will, Pickle. will probably rotate. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, the, the, the problem that, the problem that Croatia has is they have Simi Vrsalko, who's like a good, a good right back, but like then basically everyone else they have who plays on defense, either plays domestically in Croatia or, or plays in Russia, um, yeah. and then Borna, Borna Beresic plays in, in Scotland for for Rangers. But they they just are v- – I mean, it, it feels odd that you would have some of the best midfielders ever, right? Luka, yeah. um, Rakitic, Perisic, like these incredible, amazing ball-progressing midfielders, and you, you can't come up with one all-world defender in a generation. It's kind of like the Messi problem for Argentina.
1: Well, I mean, if you look at Croatia, it's just amazing that they – produce as much talent as like it, eight eight hundred thousand like, people or something like that it's tiny it's a tiny country like they're just minuscule so it, i guess it makes sense that they have some you know holes they can't fill because like let's be honest their defense sucks like they, they still play vita quite they often. still
0: play Dayan Lovren, who's like six years past his best at this point yeah
1: i mean you know you, you know like international you just don't have a chance you don't have a choice sometimes sometimes you got like some world-class players playing beside complete dumpster fires and you. you just can't yeah in, it is
0: that is country it's amazing it's nothing else exists like this in sports where like Messi will be lining up in in you know for the Argentina national team next to some midfielder who plays for Independiente and is 32 and has never been to it's like it's like unreal some of the di- yeah. the dynamics you get in international football like well, that
1: I will say I will say that the world, the soccer world is very euro centered and there is yes. a lot of very good players in south america that play in argentina that play maybe in brazil that don't maybe they don't come over to europe but like there's a breeding ground of super talented players now argentina as a national team is a dumpster fire because they're you know run terribly but you know there's still a lot of really good talented players uh i mean croatia like for example i would say right like those players are getting scouted so yes if you're pretty good you're probably gonna go over there um i think that they're if i had to pick I think that you, when you have a very good midfield like Croatia has, with that's
0: the number one thing players, in international soccer. Yeah,
1: you can carry a lot. You can carry a lot because, and we saw that with the last World Cup, right? Like Croatia got had you know Rakitic, Brozovic, uh, and uh, Modric, and those guys were like a little bit old, but they carried the team because they're just. You just, they, they almost, any. you can midfield, just, can you,
0: you just have the ball through. the whole game. You just, you just exactly. have unlimited chances. Cause you have the ball, you're connecting passes yeah. to your teammates and that's a huge yeah. advantage.
1: Yeah. It's your, it's right. It's like your cerebral, you know, your, your cerebral system, your brain, everything is dictated from your midfield. So you got a really good midfield. You got intelligent midfielders. You can paper over some cracks and you know, management is dumbed down and international. So Croatia's is always going to have a chance. Um, you Know, I, I'm not sure that this time I think that this time they're a little bit older, it's going to be difficult, but I do like, I do really like their midfield. And if and if Kramer gets it going and they utilize him well in Vlasic, they could they could do some damage. Um, you know, I think I think there's some very good teams though. I, I think there are some really good teams looking at it. I think Portugal plays very well, of course, France, of course, England. I really like Belgium. Um, I think Belgium. Is maybe yeah, underpriced. Yeah,
0: Belgium. Belgium to me, I think should be priced ahead of England because, like, if let's yeah. you know, if you just go position by position, their their center backs, you know, uh, so Alder Alderweireld would would start for England. Now, yeah. I don't I don't know if you know Boyata or Vertongen at this stage in their career would start for England, and they run the back Boyata three. Probably
1: wouldn't probably. Yeah, yeah,
0: and and they run the back three system as well, but they do it in a non cowardly way. Because they, their, their wingbacks are actually attackers. You know, they will yeah. start, um, you know, Carrasco will be one of the wingbacks. Nasser Chadley will be one of the wingbacks. Thorgan Hazard will be one of the wingbacks. They've even, they've even gone uh, in the qualifiers one game, they even went more attacking than that. They started Dries Mertens as, as one of the wingbacks behind yeah. um, the, the three forwards, which is like insanely, yeah. insanely attacking i guess if you were if you were going to criticize them you'd say when they use mitchy benteke or lukaku as the strikers those guys play such a different style than the rest of the team like i mean obviously lukaku great striker um even even benteke i mean what he just scored eight goals for like one of the worst offensive teams in the premier league like these guys can score but they play in a, a much different style than all the rest of their teammates do with their clubs
1: yeah. I think, uh, yeah, Belgium, it's, uh, the, the back three works for them. They, they, one of the reasons I like them is they have a set style that they know they have the same players that have been playing together for a while. They have a system that they use that they're drilled on that they know it very well. And it works for them specifically because you have, uh, De Bruyne and, uh, uh and Lukaku and Hazard when he was on form, he's not been great, but, um, they kind of play this weird system where they kind of give up possession and create a lot of space to, to get on the counter, even with a very attack-minded team. Um, and Lukaku is not amazing with his back to goal, but is amazing like like when he's got space to run at you, like he just crushes teams like that. So I think that it works for them, right? Like like that's the best way to get out of Lukaku. It's it's not going to be when you have a low block. Right, like like uh, playing against a low block, Lukaku's not really going to thrive. He's going to kind of not be at his best. But
0: well, there ju- it's just going to be a lot of Thomas Mounier crosses towards his forehead that are not high yeah. expected goal plays at all.
1: Yeah, and then and even sense right, like Lukaku is this really big guy that looks like a target nine, right? But like that's not really the way that he
0: plays. No, he's you know? better. With, he's better with the ball at his feet, turning yeah, around. Yeah, exactly.
1: He's he's better when he's like he can run at you, and he's just he uses his size, his strength, and his intelligence. To, to score a lot of goals that way as opposed to just looking at him like he's big he you know he looks like a drug bug, but he's not like he's not like a great guy in the air like that's not his necessarily a strong point his strong point is kind of playing in a different style and the way that Belgium plays really plays to that strength and it also plays to to uh, De Bruyne because when De Bruyne has you know space to run into on the break he's just going to make the best decisions and he's going to He's going to make great passes and he's going to basically find passing lanes and he's going to find through balls. And uh, the way that they play with the back three, where they basically give up a little bit of possession, but then play really attacking when they get the ball really works for them. It's kind of very similar to how AC Milan plays in that kind of a three, five, two. Yeah. Uh, And it makes sense that Lukaku thrives in that, that system perfectly, I think. And I think that, you know, I think they're a little underpriced. I think that they have it. They have more of a, more of an understanding of what they're going to do, and I think they're dangerous. I think they could they could kind of give anybody a tough game.
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm going to bet Belgium and Croatia, and then I'm going to think about I'm going to think about adding Portugal because we got we got to have a little bit to sweat. Uh, before before we get out of here, though, I I want to I want to talk some crypto because obviously you are uh, big in the space. We talked a little bit about crypto when the when the prices were much lower, although. Uh, the, the prices are closer to where they were 10 months ago <laughs> than, than we both would have liked. So the, the big question I have, and I, I'm just always fascinated by people's individual answers for this because we've seen so many people who were Bitcoin bulls for forever, right? For the last five years, six years, just I'm buying Bitcoin, yeah. I'm dollar cost averaging, I'm never selling it, I'm, I'm holding it. And um, I would say last four months, I've just seen a big flipping of people's stances and attentions, right? Not, not. To, I, I don't, I don't foresee a near future where Bitcoin and Ethereum's prices truly flip, or where ETH is worth yeah. you know 0. 0.1 BTC or anything like that. But personally, I, I seeing real world actual applications of these smart contracts has been very eye opening for me. So I'm just kind of wondering your perspective on you know, Ethereum and, and how your attitude towards it has changed?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, like I've been, I've been in crypto for a while and uh, I really started like kind of digging and, and learning a lot more recently over this last year, since we last talked probably. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, I think Bitcoin still has a, a, a very, you know, strong value proposal. And uh, yeah. it has a place in space. I think Bitcoin is more important like geopolitically. I think, you know, yeah. in terms of uh, maybe replacing the the reserve currency. And when you have more geopolitical kind of strife and and like two superpowers in like China and United States kind of jostling that, maybe having there was a reserve currency of the world being not tied to a specific government that can control it is, is probably better. And it's safer for a lot of countries like maybe Argentina or something else where their currency is getting debased and, and there's a lot of difficulties. So like that makes a lot of sense, right? But when you look at Ethereum, I think Ethereum is a productive asset, right? Like Ethereum, you can build tons of stuff on it. It's basically like internet 2.0 is being built on Ethereum. You can program it to do anything, uh, you can use it for DeFi. You can use it to park it to get a loan. You can, you can use it to stake it. And, and, it's, and it's, 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 its use case is not just that like, hey, this is going to be valuable and the number is going to go up and I'm going to hold on to this. It's like, actually, companies can build on it on the Ethereum network. Um, they can transact on it there is within DeFi, there is so much cool stuff happening and so much like innovation happening that is just not happening on Bitcoin. It can't really be built on Bitcoin. That right. um, I think Ethereum just has, like, I think that, you know, the, 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 the argument for Bitcoin is that it's a store of value, right? Which is a, which is a strong argument and it's just important, right? So, like, you could say it would eat into the uh, market cap of gold. The argument for Ethereum is, this is basically internet 2.0 and you can build whatever you want on it. You can like create a decentralized internet and you can program it to do whatever you want. I just think that that is a better argument and that's easier to sell. You don't have to have a government be, you don't have to basically say to a government, this is going to replace you, replace your central bank. You could just say to companies, be like, Hey, look, come build on this come use this play with this if you're a bank you could say hey like we can cut out a ton of redundancies and i just think that that is has more ways to win i think ethereum has more ways to win in the long run and get taken up than than maybe bitcoin which has like a very kind of a little bit more narrow of an argument to make
0: yeah i mean i think the the bitcoin argument there are there are kind of two prongs right so one is it replaces US dollars, the petrodollar as the reserve yeah. currency. Maybe when I was twenty-five, I believe that. I don't, I'm I'm much more cynical now, and I see yeah. that as being very unlikely. That doesn't mean that I'm I'm a Bitcoin bear though, because the the bear case, the more realistic bear case for Bitcoin, I think, is is what we're starting to see a little bit, which is large financial institutions and corporations. Begin to hold Bitcoin as a reserve currency as they realize the the inflation of the U.S. Yeah. dollar and it's kind of a kind of a hedge against the U.S. dollar, right? So so obviously the Tesla thing is well publicized, but you know, MicroStrategy with Saylor, uh, Square, and uh, own some. I believe PayPal owns some as well. I yeah. think I think that's we're just going to see that. It, there was a I actually saw a report like two weeks ago that Mark Zuckerberg owns the single largest stash of Bitcoin in the world now because he, he's just been he's just been buying. Now Facebook doesn't own any of it, but but, but basically a, a wallet that people think that is Zuckerberg's has accumulated like ten billion dollars worth of of Bitcoin. Um, you know, there's the Novogratz stuff where basically Mark Novogratz runs. Uh, a Bitcoin trust, which just buys Bitcoin yeah. for rich people and, and saves it for them, and I, I, to me, that just seems so much more realistic than the U.S. dollar capitulates and we yeah. replace it. Um, but that that's a very real use case, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 really it's like digital gold, and so weird. I I happened to see someone tweeting about the Bitcoin white paper the other day, and I went back and I read the first couple pages, and and. It is funny that a lot of the, the, the Bitcoin bros, you know, talk about Satoshi's vision and everything. Yeah. And, you know, store of value really was not part of it when no. he wrote it. Now, he did talk about that on the forums and stuff. And people have all those forum posts saved and everything. But it is, it is fascinating to see that basically the, the huge value in Bitcoin has not become peer-to-peer digital yeah. cash. It's been there's only 21 million. Like that's the, that's yeah. the use case is only 21 million.
1: Yeah, and th- that's the use case. And so like all these arguments that, you know, companies are putting in on the balance sheet, Michael Saylor, all of these guys, that gets a little bit more precarious after this weekend, you know, like, like the price went completely to shit, all of crypto, right? But, you know, companies are just gonna have a hard time stomaching and making that argument when that volatility hits and it crashes. And it's just like, why do you wanna take on that risk? If it, and it takes that to get to like adoption. But like, if that's the only use case and that's the only argument and we're putting it all on that, that is a volatile uh, path to go down, I would say. Not to say that it's, it wouldn't work and, and I'm very still bullish on Bitcoin. I just think like with Ethereum, it's like, we don't need to have that argument that you have to put, you can basically, a company can put it on their, on their balance sheet to actually use it and develop it and use it and, and, and make, make things from it. And that's just a better argument, I think, that is easier to sell, that all this volatility, you could say, well, with Ethereum, with smart contracts, you can do all this stuff. DeFi has billions of dollars locked up, right? Like, like and it's innovating, like really interesting things. And I think at the end of the day, if you're gonna make an argument and you're gonna sell it to, to the business world, right? And in, in institutions, you could say, okay, If you're Chase and you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees and you Mm -hmm. have how much money locked, and then you can look at a a DeFi platform that has 15 employees and has $40 billion locked and their revenue, that's just going to always be the final answer for businesses, right? Like they're always going to be like, Hey, I can cut out all these redundancies and, 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 and basically utilize smart contracts and cut out all this, this, this waste. And that's always going to be an answer that they're always going to gravitate towards, regardless of, like, that's just going to be, that's just going to always happen. I don't think that's necessarily great for the labor force. And there's different ways that you have to kind of say that, for sure. Like, that can't just be an issue that's just swept under the table. But I think that that is the final answer. And I think we're more likely to get there than we are to basically, like, try to sell Bitcoin on future, on you know, on adoption, and we've ridden Bitcoin a couple cycles to, in crypto, and you know it's it's volatile and it's 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 boom or bust. And I and it would just be nice if we could kind of all maybe separate it a little bit. And Ethereum could have its own use case driven, and Bitcoin could have its own, and then it could kind of like both be you know good going forward, but maybe not tied to each other as much. You know, yes, yeah. I I'm a big yeah, I'm big Ethereum. I've switched over a lot to Ethereum. And actually, to Matic as well, to uh, Polygon.
0: Yeah, and and one of the one of the other big things is because Ethereum, like, there's an Ethereum Foundation, right? There, there is Vitalik, yeah. and and crypto bros like don't like that, right? Like the centralization yeah. and everything. But when you're talking about government legislation, tax rates, regulation. Yeah the federal governments are going to find that so much more palatable right yeah. they're they're going to they're going to they're going to view the ethereum network and the protocol as much more understandable and much more um you know legislatable than yeah. than bitcoin uh, transactions like I, I just think that's just true
1: Yeah, and I think that we're not going to be able to get away from this narrative of Bitcoin's energy use. Like that's kind of out there. No, it's it's
0: here to stay, even if it's kind of bullshit. It's yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Even if it's bullshit, it's still going to be used against us, right? And I hate Elon, and uh, I, I like I I can't stand the guy, and like how he's kind of played this. But you know, it's there is truth that that it is taking a lot of energy. That a lot of it is bullshit. But if you're going to run that narrative, you know, Ethereum isn't held to that they can basically they're gonna in the summer right they're gonna decrease their energy usage and it's already a lot lower
0: yeah yeah that's uh that's definitely true i mean and may- maybe i maybe i'll i'll get i'll try and get one of these uh libertarian bitcoin bros like nick carter or something on the show to come do a, a whole thing about about the bitcoin energy so i i guess what i kind of had to go through this transition stage where I was like look I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna sell my Bitcoin I'm not gonna yeah. trade it in for ethereum but what what I have done is just more of my USD weekly buys are going yeah. into ethereum than than ever before because I, I I do think the future of decentralized finance is I mean we, it, this the 80 billion dollars is nothing like do you know how much transactional volume goes through? The stock market or, or traditional banks on a given day. Like it's, it's yeah. not, it's, it's not even begun. Like we're, we're, we're still in the dugout slapping each other's asses in the words of Peter Overzet. Like it's just beginning.
1: Yeah. It's just uh, I mean, I, I, I wish I would have got into DeFi like last summer. I was a little bit late Yeah, um, and I just remember hearing all about it, but I was still kind of like, not, I was still, still a little PTSD from 2017, 2018 in crypto. So uh, it took me a little while longer, but I've kind of jumped in now and it's it's really it's really interesting and it's cool. And there's a lot of stuff to learn. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of innovation happening on a few different chains. And uh, I think, you know, I would advise anybody that is interested in that stuff or anybody from the gambling space to just kind of check it out. Because in terms of like from gambling as well, it is like... It's amazing. It's yeah. It's the most degen thing you could do, really. I mean, it's the, the swings in, in DeFi and in crypto can be gut-wrenching, to say that yeah. yeah, they're huge. And, and I will say that I've, I've basically converted most of my Bitcoin over. And I still, I don't hate Bitcoin. I still have a lot of, you know, love for it. And I still think that it serves a purpose, but I want productive assets a little bit more. And so yeah. I've been yeah, that's a
0: big thing. Yeah, yeah. Productive, productive assets. And, you know, it's easier to lend Ethereum. Yeah. Yeah, like if it, you know, and and, um, like I had I had some Bitcoin on BlockFi for a while, yeah. and which is, I mean, really, it's just centralized lending. Re- really, BlockFi yeah. is just is just traditional finance, but using a crypto asset like uh, like a mask, basically. Like it's yeah. it's me lending it to BlockFi, who lends it to someone else. Like it's not uh, yeah. it, it's not the the heart of what DeFi is at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you can convert, you know, you can convert that Bitcoin onto Wrapped Bitcoin and put it on Ethereum and, yep. and use it in your network too. I mean, it's not true Bitcoin, but I mean, that's a good way to kind of dip in. I mean, too. that is, like, so, so know.
0: that right there, I mean, that's a potential billion dollar idea is figuring out a way to let people yield farm their Bitcoin without wrapping it. Um, you well, know, because it's,
1: that's being, that's coming out right now. So uh, Thorchain Thorchain, which is like, I, I own some, is uh, there? It's going to be like a truly decentralized uh, multi-chain platform, and they're already—it's already just rolling out, so you can still kind of do it, but it's still in the beta yeah. phase. But uh, for if you wanted to look into, I would look into Thorchain Room because that—that that is basically what they're doing, and I think that'll be like a massive use case that people can keep their Bitcoin and 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 use it decentrally on a multi-chain platform.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Great show, uh, Paul. Thank you very much for chatting, everyone. You can, uh, you can find Paul in the, uh, the, the FanDuel and DraftKings soccer lobbies, uh, pew, pew, pew. You can follow him on Twitter. It uh, has a lot of, uh, lot of good little nuggets here and there. And uh, the show will be back next week.
1: You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems.